this Saturday we're celebrating Father's Day in Taiwan. That's because August 8th, Papa sounds like father in Mandarin. That's right. And in today's show, we have an idea for a free and priceless gift you can give your dad. I'm Natalie So, and I'm Andrew Ryan. Let's check out the stories on our radar. U.S. Secretary of Health and Human Services Alex Azar is coming to Taiwan. He is the highest-ranking U.S. official to visit since the two sides cut formal diplomatic ties in 1979. U.S. officials say the visit is meant to quote strengthen the U.S.-Taiwan partnership and enhance cooperation to combat the global COVID-19 pandemic. Two corruption scandals rocked the legislature this week. Six sitting and former lawmakers were among those detained in connection with a bribery case involving the Pacific Sogo department store chain. One of the lawmakers is also accused of accepting bribes to help rezone land in a national park. Four cities—Taipei, New Taipei, Taichung, and Tainan—are once again requiring people to wear surgical masks in enclosed spaces. The rules cover schools, hospitals, religious centers, markets, entertainment centers, and public transport. It's been several months since the last confirmed case of domestic transmission, but several foreign nationals have tested positive for COVID-19 after leaving Taiwan. These cases of unclear origin have raised concerns that the pandemic is making a comeback. And under the radar this week, a mission at National Tsinghua University to save Taiwan's native frogs. The frogs, along with other species from around the world, are being bred in a special new frog house that houses some 500 frogs of different species. The project's head, Professor Li Jiawei, says that 14 of Taiwan's 36 native frogs are found nowhere else, and he wants to ensure that they have offspring that can be released into the wild. And now for our words of the week, Andrew, ready to guess? Yes. Be be bell bellwether belonging beloved. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So first of all, I want to say Happy Father's Day to all the beloved dads out there. And our special guest this week is a beloved dad named John Hay. Um, better known as Heo Long in Chinese, he's the author of many parenting books. He's a very famous dad and granddad already, and has some insights into what dads want that he'll be sharing on today's show. That's a great word, Natalie. Be ready for mine. Yes. All right, here we go. Small word. Bad boy. No. <laughs> Bad boy. <laughs> Baba. So, Baba, of course, this is how we say father in Chinese. But strangely enough, I also call my dad Baba. Are you serious? When my brother had、uh, daughters, they wanted to come up with a name for my dad other than Grandpa, and for some reason, they chose Baba. And so, so he's been it, called Baba for two generations. Yeah, well, just for this generation, but I actually now call him Baba as well. Oh, okay. Because my nieces do,、oh. but I also call him Bob. For short. Okay. <laughs> so there you go.、Good. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. All right, let's put these on the shelf. All right. It's Father's Day this weekend in Taiwan. Now it's sometimes hard to figure out what to get your dad for Father's Day, especially if he already has a lot of ties and wallets, right? That's right. So we've enlisted an expert for advice. I spoke to one of Taiwan's most famous and admired dads, the chairman of Dale Carnegie Training, John Hay. He tells us what dads really want for Father's Day. Your parents would have been most appreciative. When you tell them 
how important role your parents played in your life,、mm. either in writing a letter, don't just send a card, parent Father's Day card, just write. You have to write it yourself. <laughs> yeah, must be a handwritten、right? paragraph,、mm. not even just the one line. Happy Father's Day. That won't work. <laughs> so. Either writing a letter, or if you are self-confident enough, tell them face to face how much you love them, and、uh, in what incident or example your parents did on you, either at home or at school or at outside, which means a lot to you today. So, what did you think of his idea, Andrew? I thought it was a great idea. You know, you don't always have to spend money to show your parents that you love That's them. That's true. But I have to say, it's really hard for people to talk to their dads and tell them that they love them. I mean, it's especially if you're a guy. I think we don't、you、usually talk、I、about stuff like that. You know what? I make my sons do it. <laughs> Here's a card and write something nice.、Oh, write something、really? from your heart. And they do. And they do. But I'm trying to get them to write longer. That's、it's、really usually、sweet. one, two, three sentences. That's <laughs> very, very sweet. So,、yeah. my dad, if you're watching this, I just want to say thank you so much for being a great role model, for being a man of integrity. I know, you know, my dad is quite conservative. I'm was kind of a crazy kid growing up, <laughs> so I really appreciate you supporting me through all my endeavors. Coming to Taiwan, you know, what a great dad! Happy Father's Day!、Uh, now, I want to say too, I watched the interview that you did with、uh, John Hay. He's an amazing guy. There is one part of the interview that I found really touching, and that's the part where Nally asked this very poignant question. You're such a famous and beloved figure in Taiwan. You're known for so many things: for being a wonderful TV host, a wonderful manager of Dale、Thank、Carnegie,、you. and a wonderful father, grandfather. Which、um, achievement makes you the most proud, or gives you the most satisfaction? What do you want to be known for? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, thank you. I really, I'm not that good. If you really want me to pick one, it's being a father.、Mm. <laughs> it's much. This is the first time I have to think hard, either in business, in writing, in being a host,、uh, being, or, or when I. Giving a talk in a big, big gathering, but、uh, in in re- retrospect, it lasts maybe sixty years. <laughs> I'm eighty this year. Michelangelo, he he's got he left the Della Pietà and the Saint Peter's、yeah. Basilica or.、Right. Or, for example, Yu Guangzhong. He is gone lately. He left so many beautiful poems, essays. But one day when I'm gone, I can say I left the Chinese Del Carnegie Trilogy, or or books, maybe. But the most most important things, I left four good people. Who are God-fearing and loving people, loving men and women, four of them, but the four of them become all together twenty of them. <laughs> so gradually, hope it can spread around. That's a beautiful way.
to to reflect your whole life. You that that is uh, you left something good on earth. As a grandfather and father, he has a lot of great stories to tell. The full interview will be up on YouTube and Facebook tomorrow. This week on Taiwan Explained, why do we need typhoons? Here to tell us more is the newest addition to our Taiwan Insider team, Catherine Wei. Catherine, it's great to have you here. Hi, thanks for having me. Now, I heard that this July was the first July in history that there were no typhoons or even tropical storms that formed in the Northwest Pacific. That is correct. It's kind of a light year that we're having, yeah. It is.、Uh, usually, by this time of the year, we are well into typhoon season. There have only been two typhoons so far in 2020, a record low since 1998. Now, fewer typhoons seem like good news. After all, they can be very dangerous and cause a lot of damage.、Mm. But you were telling me, Catherine, that、um, we actually need typhoons. Yes, because they bring in a lot of rainfall. A tropical storm called Hakupit barely brushed the coastline of Taiwan earlier this week. It didn't make landfall, but it was just what Taiwan needed. It added 2.5 million tons of water to the Shimun Reservoir. Now there's another good side to typhoons. Let's have a look. Taiwan justly calls itself the Coral Kingdom. That's because the waters of its southern coast are dotted with colorful reefs. But climate change has sent the temperature of seawater in the area rising to about 30 degrees Celsius, sickening and bleaching the corals. Bleaching is happening at a range of spots, from the tourist magnet of Kanding to the small island of Xiaoliuqiu off the southwest coast. Diving coaches say that coral is turning white in shallow and deep waters alike. The coaches also said that the range affected by bleaching has grown to be larger than ever before. A temporary solution may be typhoons. Experts say the storms can cool the water temperature and hopefully save the coral. You know, it's interesting. I've never thought of typhoons as being useful. Me neither. Neither have I. They're always like ferocious. I'm going to get away from them, right? I know. Yeah, we just want to make sure that、uh, you know, even though they do have a useful side, we do want to keep the typhoons at a moderate size. Right, just the、so. right size so they don't destroy the coral, but they、yes. give us some rain. Yes.、Mm-hmm. So thank you very much, Catherine, for、thank、that.、You. That was fascinating, and that is our Taiwan Explained for the week. This week's brain game is a top ten, which means I have ten items on my list, and I'm going to ask Natalie and Leslie to tell me what those items are. We have 90 seconds on the clock, and the time will begin as soon as I say go. You guys ready? Ready. Bring it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if Leslie's ready. So, of course, it's Father's Day this weekend, so this is a dad-related question, and on my list are. What do Taiwanese fathers want in a son-in-law? I haven't said go yet.、Uh, We asked kids、oh、to、no. tell us what、kids? their fathers want, and this is what they told us. Wait, go! <laughs> I think Natalie went first. Okay, a good education. Okay, that's right, good degree. Not on my list. Make a lot of money. Wait, you have to buzz in first. Make a lot of money. Okay, good provider. Thoughtful. Thoughtful. Oh wow, these are hard. No.、Nope. Drive a nice car. Nope. Filial <laughs> piety. Yes. Filial piety. Own his own company. No, <laughs> that goes in with good provider. Oh, okay. Intelligent, smart. Intelligent or smart? No. You're just a good education. What? What? What would I want? She's been in this. Gonna be a good dad. 
They're gonna be a good dad. Oof. No, no, that that, that would go in yours. Oh. <laughs> a good cook. No, these are all great. I how like is these. This, how is this not one? Um, go for wait, super simple. You gotta for, go for a kid. Super, good looking. Good looking. No, that's too simple. <laughs> Leslie. Wants to be president? No. <laughs> the things about the person, like adjectives. Do you break the buzzer? Tall. No. Humorous. Humor, no. <laughs> nice? Nice, kind, yes. Didn't I say that? I said thoughtful. Well, no, these are hard. Uh, uh, come on, keep going. Um, Other good traits. What am I? What am I? I'm funny. I'm not no. seriously funny. Uh, no. Um, fast thinker. No. No. Good to talk to? Easy to talk to? Uh, Even tempered, I'll give you that. Okay. <laughs> Even tempered? Helps with housework? No. Uh, responsible, I'll give you that. <laughs> <laughs> that counts, uh, right? Responsible? What else am I? Oh, man, this is rough. Oh. Okay. Seconds. Here is are the other things that we have on our list. We have honest. Honest. Yes, That's we a good have one. Grounded. grounded. Okay. Yeah, how old were these kids? They're adults. Oh, okay. Yeah. These are kids. Like. Um. No, I mean they're children, right? Okay. 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 So no bad habits. So they don't gamble uh, and they don't no abuse addictions. substances. Yeah. Yep. Leslie, you look like you're in These are all there. things I'm not. You see, like, how, I, I, this was against me. This was stacked against me from minute He's one. He's taking it very personally right now. Don't take it personally, really. <laughs> that was been in that position. We, <laughs> we, I, I will have to say, we didn't ask anybody that is related to Leslie, like, no potential future spouses. Like, okay, you're, you're okay. Um, what else do we have on here? We have, they make their spouse a priority. Oh, oh, that's sure. a nice one. And the last one, this is great. My child must like the person. Just it I want your I want our child. Oh, right? oh. Yeah. all right. That's I think that's Leslie can keep all that in that's mind. Super, that's super <laughs> like, it's just a list of like things I need to do and it's just not looking too good. Can I ask you, is there any one particular trait that you're most worried about as a somebody's future son in law? Mm, oh man. What a start. You know, take your pick. I'm, I'm impatient sometimes. I... Oh, wait, wait. No, 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 no. I'm going to stop you right there because I don't want to, you to sell yourself uh, short. Let, let me, let me, let me, let me put this one. I make my work a priority. Okay. Radio Taiwan International is number one always. Hashtag. And I hope our bosses are watching this show right now. All right. He sealed the deal. You can marry, uh, you can marry Taiwan Insider. I'm going to marry this building. I have to ask Nally, too. You also have a dad. You're also married. Um, did your husband stack up to the yes, father-in-law's expectations? I think expectations? pretty much everything on that list. Did your dad tell you he wanted anything in My particular? mom did. She made a list. Whoa, that's And intense. then when she met my um, my husband, she said he, she, he passed with flying colors. So Wow. Isn't that nice? That is really I nice. I would fold under that <laughs> My kind dad, of, of course, is like, mm, I don't know if he's good enough for you, you know? <laughs> Did your husband know there was a list beforehand? No, no. Okay, because, like, I would fold under that pressure. That's kind of a deal breaker, but maybe. But my mom said, you have to ask um, my dad before you can marry me. So. Uh, and, and your husband did that? Yeah, he did. That is really lovely. Yeah. Well, we learned so much. I didn't expect to learn so much from a brain game, but there you have it. This is our brain game this for this week. This is such difficult precedent. I don't know how I'm going to live up to this. <laughs> As you heard, former President Li Denghui passed away last week, shortly after we recorded our show. He was 97 years old. 
He's stayed out of the public's eye in recent years just so he could retire in peace. But in keeping with this week's theme of Father's Day, we can't forget that he was the father of Taiwan's democracy. We have a video for you now to recap his remarkable political career. Let's take a look. The year is 1978. The late Li Denghui is mayor of Taipei City. He sits down with Taiwan's cabinet to discuss preparations for an impending typhoon. Three years later, he becomes chairman of the Taiwan provincial government. This is just the beginning to what would become a remarkable political career. Impressed with his leadership, then-President Jiang Jingguo selects Li as his vice president in 1984. Four years later, Jiang passes away suddenly, leaving the leadership position to Li. As president, Li Denghui promises to act and serve patriotically. In 1990, students take to the streets in the Wild Lily student movement. Li meets with the student leaders to hear their ideas and come to a peaceful resolution. He agrees to implement democratic elections in Taiwan. In 1995, Li visits his alma mater, Cornell University, and gives a speech in his capacity as president. The following year, Taiwanese people vote for Li in the nation's first democratic presidential elections. Fast forward to 2000, Li's party, the Kuomintang, loses the presidential election. He steps down as party chair and leaves office at the end of his term, having served for 12 years. In 2001, Li Denghui founds the Taiwan Solidarity Union, a political party that advocates for Taiwan independence. He is subsequently expelled from the Kuomintang. In 2004, Li joins President Chen Shui-bian in protesting against Chinese aggression, giving a boost to Chen's campaign for re-election. Even in his later years, Li never slows to a halt. After his political career simmers down, he uses his background in agricultural economics in a bid to develop Taiwan's domestic Wagyu beef industry. He also turns to nonprofit work, helping raise awareness for a variety of different charities. Li's passing at the age of 97 on July 30, 2020, marks an end to an era. But his contributions to Taiwan's democratic development will forever be ingrained in Taiwan's history. All right, in the spirit of our show this week, what do dads want? Leslie, best Father's Day gift this year. Andrew, you said it yourself. It's hard for us to do it, but I'm going to try really hard to tell my dad I love him this year. Oh, oh that's, that's good. wonderful. That's I was thinking something like that, writing a nice long letter, a big hug and a kiss. Very nice. I would like a private plane that can fly my whole family <laughs> so we can be together in ah, this difficult time. That's a great idea. And actually, one of our listeners uh, wrote and left a message, one of our viewers, on our uh, Facebook page. I think we have to share this. I'll show you this. It's a mug that says, these puns are armed and dadly. We definitely got a good laugh out of that in the office. That's a great suggestion, too. So thank you so much for joining us for Taiwan Insider this week. Be sure to connect with us on social media. Yes, we'd love to hear from you. Leave a comment below. For Taiwan Insider, I'm Natalie So. I'm Leslie Liao. And I'm Andrew Ryan. See you next week. What do you know about Taiwan? I know who the president is. What about their local music and food? Well, hmm, what do you suggest? Tune in to Radio Taiwan International. Here at RTI, we offer the authentic Taiwan experience. You hear the sound of remote attractions, the local food, music, 
the lives of real Taiwanese as they live it. Visit english.rti.org.tw. Listen to the real Taiwan. Taiwan Today with Natalie So. Hello and welcome to Taiwan Today. I'm Natalie So. I had the privilege of interviewing our digital minister, Audrey Tong, with Andrew Ryan. Join us as we continue this special interview, and she answers a question about how Taiwan has dealt with concerns about Chinese companies like Huawei. I, I know that you voice concerns about um, privacy and Chinese companies mm -hmm. like Huawei. Mm -hmm. You've mentioned that you know it's like a Trojan horse. Mm -hmm. So, do you think that the world should be concerned about mm -hmm. Huawei and other mm -hmm. digital companies and stop using their products? Mm -hmm. I was quoting um, the occupiers uh, in 2014 uh, when we occupied the parliament here mm -hmm. with half a million people on the street and many more online, completely peacefully in a demonstration, not as a protest but a demo of how people on the street can come to rough consensus on things like the cross-strait service and trade agreement or the CSSTA uh, being deliberated at a time. And so like 20 different NGOs deliberated 20 aspects of the CSSTA and whether we need to allow the PRC components, uh, that's uh, People's Republic of China government components, uh, in the 4G infrastructure. That was the debate uh, back then. So it's 2014, yeah. That's right. So I was simply quoting Okay. A consensus on the street uh, six years ago, which was then also ratified by the National Security Council and National Communication Commission at the time in Taiwan. And so it's been six years uh, without any PRC-made components in our core infrastructure. And obviously, we're uh, surviving and thriving. Uh, mm -hmm. And that, that the main point back then was that uh, people realized that there is no such thing as a purely private sector company in the PRC regime, mm -hmm. because through party branches, through uh, ways to swap leadership and so on, they can always make any private sector company state-owned or state-controlled overnight when tension arises. And so even though the uh, previous versions of the software or firmware or hardware um, is cybersecurity uh, checked, you will have to do that again and again whenever a update uh, occurs. And so um, that is the systemic risk assessment that says if we have to keep doing this, the total cost of ownership would be far higher mm -hmm. than uh, vendors from liberal democracies. And so that's why we made this collective decision to ban PRC components uh, from the 4G networks that was six years ago. Mm -hmm. What about average citizens mm -hmm. and uh, using, like, for example, a cell phone or mm -hmm. You know, an air purifier mm -hmm. that's connected mm -hmm. to your home internet. Mm -hmm. what, what about things like that that are made in China? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think um, you really need to uh, look at the threat profile uh, yourself. Uh, and there are guidelines from our Department of Cybersecurity on how connected it is. If it is connected to the public internet and it connects to a larger system like home appliances and things like that, then there is a case to worry, of mm -hmm. course. If it works entirely in airplane mode, that is to say it has no transmitting uh, capabilities and it doesn't hook to any uh, control um, centers of your appliances, then it's of less risk. So one need to make that assessment and uh, NCC as well as as the Department of Cybersecurity helps to look at those Internet of Things profiles and publish their recommendations. For specific uh, devices? That's right, for a specific category of devices. Category of devices. For example, uh, the IP cams are considered higher risk for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. yeah. I'm thinking about a specifically mm -hmm. an air purifier that I have mm 
my living room. My cell phone mm-hmm. goes through that air purifier. It's a, it's a remote control on my cell phone mm-hmm. that is used to control it, but mm-hmm. they're both hooked up to my, mm-hmm. my Wi-Fi at home. Mm-hmm. Is that something that mm-hmm. I should look into more clearly? Well, that depends on whether on your phone uh, you install a software made by the vendor of the air purifier. Like an app. Yeah, like an app. Yeah. Uh, in that case, that app uh, has a higher threat profile than the machine itself. Good to know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, so we were also talking a little bit earlier about um, some of the solutions that Taiwan has come up for dealing with the pandemic mm-hmm. that also involve uh, privacy or personal information. For example, mm-hmm. uh, Taiwan has an excellent system of monitoring people who are in quarantine. Oh, yeah, the digital fence. The digital fence. Uh, also, uh, even simple things like when you uh, enter mm-hmm. a venue, mm-hmm. you have to leave your, your phone number and yeah. your information. Uh-huh. Should we be concerned well, just about your phone number, not any other information? Your name, name yeah. and phone number. Yeah, uh, but uh, and your people, face. Yeah, and, and pseudonym. Face. And pseudonym is allowed, though. Oh, good. Yeah, so good it's, it, yeah, oh, it's it's I just your contact that. number, and they check name. that they can actually reach you, contact oh, you in the case I of see. a spread. Yeah, that's right. So, should we be concerned about um, government surveillance mm-hmm. or this sort of information mm-hmm. being used after the pandemic? Yeah, definitely. You should be very concerned. Mm-hmm. And, and that's because we're a liberal democracy. Everything we do is within the constitutional limit. Taiwan has never declared a lockdown or an emergency situation, meaning that every single thing we do need to be pre-authorized by the members of the parliament and indeed by everyone, right? And so uh, I think the digital fence, for example, at one point, it has 91% of uh, support uh, from a popular poll. That means 9% of people we're not feeling very easy or mm-hmm. comfortable with it. And so uh, the Department of Cybersecurity, who is in charge of implementing the digital fence, uh, went to the parliament and do a full explanation of how it does not collect any new data. It is the cell phone uh, signal strength that is already being measured by your nearby cell phone towers. And the three nearby towers, uh, if you triangulate, that is yeah. to say, draw three circles, it can know your cell phone's position, but not very sharply, like within 15 meters meter radius in urban areas. And it's only when the phone breaks out of that perimeter, it sends an automated SMS, which Taiwanese people already understand how it works uh, because we've been receiving earthquake warnings yeah. and flood warnings when there's a heavy rain or a typhoon. Uh, automatically, mm-hmm. it's a geofenced uh, broadcasting device. And so there's a saying, right? Anything that uh, that's around when I'm born is human nature. And anything that's introduced afterward is technology. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so just like that, <laughs> we were explaining that the digital fence really is just repurposing uh, the mm-hmm. tools that we have made before the pandemic. It's not a novel data collection. There's no new data being collected. And of course, after the 14 or 28 uh, days of the um, uh, quarantine period, uh, all the data is um, removed uh, from this special uh, out-of-purpose, uh, original-purpose use. And so mm-hmm. that's very important. And mm-hmm. after this explanation, the popular poll of the CECC measures has been increased to 94 percent, but we still thank the other six percent because they keep us honest. Mm. Okay. So moving forward, we should continue to watch what yeah, the government de- de- does. Definitely, definitely. Uh, what, what should uh, right, we watch? And also, and also, like the, the real name thing. Uh, and that was actually can one of the... Can we explain that? Yeah. So you say we don't yeah. need to use our real name for the real no, name No, no, you, you can leave a pseudonym. <laughs> yeah. You can leave okay. a pseudonym. Uh, mm-hmm. all, all they care is that within the next 14 days, uh, up to 28 days, if there's anything that they need to contact you for contact tracing, 
purposes mm-hmm. that they can reach you. Mm-hmm. Uh, after which, there really is no uh, constitutional approved purpose for them to keep the data. And so if you write on a piece of paper, they would have to shred the paper. Like oh, really? they, they cannot transmit uh, that numbers uh, anywhere. And mm-hmm. that's how we enlist uh, the likes of Intimate Boss uh, and uh, nightclubs mm-hmm. uh, into this regime, right? Back when uh, there was the first confirmed case, um, initially on the first day, uh, the contact tracers asked her and she said, I'm just staying at home. I don't you know, go out with friends. I'm a very simple lifestyle. And the very next day, the next interview, uh, did she reveal that she's actually a professional working as a waitress in the intimate bar. And mm. uh, she was initially reluctant because she does not want to compromise the privacy of her uh, clients, right? And so, uh, and then Mr. Chen Shizhong did something remarkable. He did not impose like uh, threatening to put people in prison. There's no like criminal penalty. He doesn't even threat to put uh, astronomical fine or anything. She sim- uh, he simply challenged the infant bars and dancing clubs to come up with a way uh, to contact the patrons mm. in case of outbreak uh, mm. and keep the physical distance. So it's the trust you were talking about earlier. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and then, of course, people started looking at him funny, saying, like, isn't the entire point of going to these places to break the physical distance? <laughs> <laughs> and so, Probably. Right. Uh, and so these bars and nightclubs did close for a while. And, but then they started doing innovation, and they introduced this cap that you can wear with the plastic shielding so that oh. you can still see each other but not kiss each other and drink uh, <laughs> liquor <laughs> in these places. And then... Uh, uh, they discovered that if they check that uh, your phone number can reach you upon your entry, but you only enter your phone number and a pseudonym only, and people are much more willing uh, to mm-hmm. go with that flow. And so now they have uh, physical distancing and the uh, uh, contact numbers both ready, and they shred it, of course, after four weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they reopen. They, they talk to the municipality offices, and they're allowed to reopen. I understand that you also shared some ideas with Japan about Mm -hmm. uh, opening restaurants and opening bars. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Well, the, there's the, the obvious ones, right, uh, about uh, the physical distancing, plastic shoots, teddy bears uh, in alternate seatings, <laughs> and, and things like that. Uh, but I think um, even more importantly, uh, it's uh, essential for people to, who don't have much time to, at a glance, know the kind of emergency level we're in, the trend of the current confirmed cases, uh, and where uh, uh, do you talk to if you discover that you have symptoms or things like that. That is Taiwan's digital minister, the brilliant Audrey Tang. We will be continuing our interview with her next week. But next, join me for our weekly news quiz among RTI colleagues. Welcome to this week's Taiwan News Quiz, where I am the master of the quiz, but not master of the news. <laughs> Andrew and Natalie have 60 seconds to answer as many news-related questions as I can say. Are you guys ready? I um, think so. I think so. You yeah. guys always say you're not ready. 100%. And acing the quiz anyway. <laughs> 60 seconds on the clock, please. Here we go. All right, guys. Question number one. Which United States cabinet member is coming to Taiwan? Alex Very good. When was the last time a cabinet U.S. official visited Taiwan? Six years ago. Six years ago. Taiwan's airlines are offering what for Father's Day? Pleasure Uh, trips. Pleasure flights. (laughs) Pleasure flights. (laughs) And where are they going to fly? They're going to the Philippines and back, or just in the air? Around the islands. They're just going to circle around in the air. Oh, I thought they're going farther. The outlying islands of Penghu is considering what due to an influx of tourists? Um, Asking people to pay money to come to Penghu. Tourism tax, correct. Oh, wow. 
Taiwan's life expectancy hit a new high. What is that 81? number? Eighty. Eighty point seven or eighty one? Eighty point nine. Eighty point nine. Correct. Wow. Right well, on the money. Round up. It's eighty one. <laughs> what yes. is projected to happen to Taiwan Taoyuan International Airport for the first time ever? It's losing money. It's going to lose money for the first time yeah. in its history. Oh. Last question, you guys. Former President Li Denghui passed away last week. What is the one industry in Taiwan he hoped to develop before his retirement? Wagyu beef. Wagyu beef.、Uh, the same kind of beef. Domestic、yeah. wagyu beef. Yeah, that's right. Now, as you heard, former President Li Denghui passed away last week. Shortly after we recorded our show, he was 97 years old. He's stayed out of the public's eye in recent years, just so he could retire in peace. But in keeping with this week's theme of Father's Day, we can't forget that he was the father of Taiwan's democracy. We have a video for you now to recap his remarkable political career. Let's take a look. The year is 1978. The late Li Denghui is mayor of Taipei City. He sits down with Taiwan's cabinet to discuss preparations for an impending typhoon. Three years later, he becomes chairman of the Taiwan provincial government. This is just the beginning to what would become a remarkable political career. Impressed with his leadership, then President Jiang Jingguo selects Li as his vice president in 1984. Four years later, Jiang passes away suddenly, leaving the leadership position to Li. As president, Li Denghui promises to act and serve patriotically. In 1990, students take to the streets in the Wild Lily Student Movement. Li meets with the student leaders to hear their ideas and come to a peaceful resolution. He agrees to implement democratic elections in Taiwan. In 1995, Li visits his alma mater, Cornell University, and gives a speech in his capacity as president. The following year, Taiwanese people vote for Li in the nation's first democratic presidential elections. Fast forward to 2000, Li's party, the Kuomintang, loses the presidential election. He steps down as party chair and leaves office at the end of his term, having served for 12 years. In 2001, Li Denghui founds the Taiwan Solidarity Union, a political party that advocates for Taiwan independence. He is subsequently expelled from the Kuomintang. In 2004, Li joins President Chen Shui-bian in protesting against Chinese aggression, giving a boost to Chen's campaign for re-election. Even in his later years, Li never slows to a halt. After his political career simmers down, he uses his background in agricultural economics in a bid to develop Taiwan's domestic wagyu beef industry. He also turns to nonprofit work, helping raise awareness for a variety of different charities. Li's passing at the age of 97 on July 30th, 2020, marks an end to an era. But his contributions to Taiwan's democratic development will forever be ingrained in Taiwan's history. And that is Taiwan Today for the week. Next week, we continue our interview with our digital minister, Audrey Tang. Thanks for joining me. I'm Natalie So. See you next time. Time machine. Today's time traveler is John Van Trieste, and the destination 1929. In 1929, the Taiwanese artist Chen Chengbo was in top form. He'd only begun training as an artist a few years before, 
but that didn't change the esteem that East Asia's tastemakers had for his work. At a time when Taiwan was under Japanese colonial rule and scarcely anywhere to be seen in the art world, Chen's work was shown at Japan's Imperial Art Exhibition, an honor never given to a Taiwanese painter before. Now, in 1929, Chen was in Shanghai, and here too, he quickly found his way to the top. That year, China held its first ever national art exhibition, and Chen's works were among those featured. In the years that followed, his fame would spread even further, with one of his paintings later shipped off to an exhibit in Chicago. Chen seems like a figure everyone in Taiwan would know about, but for decades after his death, his paintings lay unseen and his story untold. Lin Yuchun is a former curator at the Taipei Museum of Fine Arts. She joined us last week to talk about Chen's early life. This week, she's back to discuss Chen's Shanghai period, his return to Taiwan, and the tragedy that took his life. Lucid Water and Die House in the Afternoon are the names of the two surviving works that Chen submitted to China's first national art expo. They share some interesting similarities. Both feature stone bridges, traditional boats on water, and electrical power lines. These are both examples of Chen's love for mixing symbols of the old world and the modern. Both of these paintings also feature lovely reflections in the water, especially in Dye House in the Afternoon, where colorful silks from a silk mill hang unfurled in the air. Chen's time in Shanghai was spent in teaching posts, but Ms. Lin says this was also a period of great learning for him. While there, Chen absorbed the art of the great Chinese 14th century painter Ni Zan, one of the four masters of the Mongol Yuan dynasty. Those who know Ni Zan's work say they see his brushstrokes in Chen Chengbo's own work from this period. Chen's family came to join him in Shanghai in 1930, but this new life wouldn't last forever. The 1930s brought increasing tensions between China and Japan. In 1932, this turned into military conflict in Shanghai, the Shanghai Incident. That year, Chen sent his family back to Taiwan, and he followed himself the next year. From 1934 onwards, local Taiwanese themes return once again to his paintings. Ms. Lin calls the views in these paintings very Taiwanese. In an increasingly chaotic world, soon to be torn by full-scale war between China and Japan, Chen found solace in Taiwan's scenery. While in Taipei for the founding of an art society, he painted Danshui, a nearby town full of fantastic old buildings where a big river meets the sea. And above all, he painted his beloved hometown, Jiayi. With his brush and canvas, he captured the dramatic forested mountains of Alishan, a key scenic spot in the area. And he especially loved to paint downtown Jiayi from every angle he could. Jiayi had interesting buildings, traditional and modern, 
It too had the power lines Chen loved to paint, and it had a park with a fountain, providing Chen with endless material. In his work Dai Park One, there's a great wild tree with a few red flowers blooming at the tips of its branches. The tree seems to stand guard over cranes playing in the water below. Chen also painted nearby temples and scenes of local life through the changing seasons. Even as the war between China and Japan expanded into the Pacific theater of World War II, there's still a sense of unhurried ease in his work. The reality of air raids and hardships only pokes through towards the end of the war in works like air defense training and fun behind the combat zone. In 1945, the war ended, and with Japan's surrender, 50 years of Japanese colonial rule on Taiwan came to an end. Chen was now 50 himself, having been born just a few months before Japan colonized the island. Chen became vice chairman of a Jiayi Citizens Committee formed to welcome the new Republic of China government to Taiwan. He must have imagined he'd feel perfectly at home under the new order. After all, Republican China had been his home for some years before the war. But the new order would deteriorate quickly. Tensions between Taiwanese people and the new government built amid a growing list of grievances, including government policies and economic hardships. It all blew up on February 28, 1947. Unrest spread from Taipei. And the government stalled for time until it could get in place the troops it would need to mount a crackdown. Chen Zhengbo found himself in trouble. I asked Ms. Lin why. It was his personality, she says. He was a warm person, too confident and too optimistic. When the government made a pretense of talks, he thought he could communicate with them. After all, in Shanghai, he'd learned Mandarin. The new government called this the national language, but to Taiwanese people, it was at this point still alien. But then again, Miss Lin says, no one in Taiwan at the time could have conceived of what was going to happen. Chen and others sent to negotiate were taken captive. Some were killed straight away. While others like Chen were held for several days, Ms. Lin says that while in captivity, Chen wrote a farewell letter to his family. Finally, on March 25, 1947, at the age of 53, Chen Chengbo was taken to a spot outside the Jiayi Railroad Station and shot dead where he was. He was left there for a long time. Amid the frenzy of government violence sweeping Taiwan, no one dared to go out and claim his remains. In the end, his family took a wooden door from their home off its hinges and used it as a stretcher to carry him back. For decades, the violence of early 1947, often called the 228 incident, was a memory that could not be openly talked about. As Ms. Lin tells it, Chen and others who had been killed in the midst of it seemed to disappear. Art education continued in Taiwan, of course. It continued after the 228 incident, and even after the declaration of martial law two years later, as the Chinese Civil War ended in the government's retreat to Taiwan. But Ms. Lin says the curriculum taught emphasized mainland Chinese painters. 
It cut out Chen Chengbo, even though he'd spent some of his most productive years in Shanghai. People hid Chen's paintings away, and Ms. Lin says that his wife became the guardian of his work. That work would only begin to re-emerge in the late 1980s and the 1990s, as martial law ended and democracy came to Taiwan. Ms. Lin, then a student at National Taiwan University, was part of the first wave of those to do graduate work on Taiwanese art. At the time, she says, there was no historical information about Chen Chengbo to be found. This was still true in 1995, when she worked on an exhibition of his work marking the centenary of his birth. There had never been such a large-scale display of his paintings since his death. Since these early years, though, the beauty of Chen Chengbo's paintings has been uncovered and his reputation brought back to life in Taiwan. There has been new information that clears up misconceptions about when and where some works were painted. Meanwhile, in the Taipei Museum of Fine Arts, some of Chen's most important works have finally found a home. Now, 70 years on from the injustice of his death, Chen Chengbo's place in Taiwan's art history has been fully restored. I'm John Van Trieste, and I hope you'll join me again next week for another journey through time. This is Taiwan Explained, brought to you by Radio Taiwan International. This week on Taiwan Explained, why do we need typhoons? Here to tell us more is the newest addition to our Taiwan Insider team, Catherine Wei. Catherine, it's great to have you here. Hi, thanks for having me. Now, I heard that this July was the first July in history that there were no typhoons or even tropical storms that formed in the Northwest Pacific. That is correct. It's kind of a light year that we're having, yeah? It is. Uh, usually by this time of the year, we are well into typhoon season. There have only been two typhoons so far in 2020, a record low since 1998. Now, fewer typhoons seem like good news. After all, they can be very dangerous and cause a lot of damage. Mm. But you were telling me, Catherine, that um, we actually need typhoons. Yes, because they bring in a lot of rainfall. A tropical storm called Hakupit barely brushed the coastline of Taiwan earlier this week. It didn't make landfall, but it was just what Taiwan needed. It added 2.5 million tons of water to the Shimun Reservoir. Now, there's another good site to typhoons. Let's have a look. Taiwan justly calls itself the Coral Kingdom. That's because the waters off its southern coast are dotted with colorful reefs. But climate change has sent the temperature of seawater in the area rising to about 30 degrees Celsius, sickening and bleaching the corals. Bleaching is happening at a range of spots, from the tourist magnet of Kanding to the small island of Xiaoliuqiu off the southwest coast. Diving coaches say that coral is turning white in shallow and deep waters alike. The coaches also said that the range affected by bleaching has grown to be larger than ever before. A temporary solution may be typhoons. Experts say the storms can cool the water temperature and hopefully save the coral. 
You know, it's interesting. I've never thought of typhoons as being useful. Me neither. Neither have I. They're always like ferocious. I'm going to get away from them, right? I know. Yeah. We just want to make sure that,、uh, you know, even though they do have a useful side, we do want to keep the typhoons at a moderate size. Right. Just the、so. right size so they don't destroy the coral. But they、yes. give us some rain. Yes.、Mm-hmm. So thank you very much, Catherine, for、thank、that.、You. That was fascinating. And that is our Taiwan Explained for the week. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60 minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kilohertz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 9405 kilohertz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kilohertz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kilohertz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123 199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123 199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also, visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International. <laughs>